Welcome to Untying Knots with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Untying Knots. My name is Perry Clark. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in the San Jose, California area, also affectionately known as Silicon Valley. I wanted to start off with the you know basic disclaimer that this podcast is not a representation of a counseling session with myself or my guest, and I do recommend that you seek out therapy with a licensed professional in your area. So, what is untying knots? And if you've read the blurb, I uh, got a little flowery with the concept of what a knot can do for us, both against and for us, whether it holds us in place or it helps us keep us from getting to what we need. In my practice, which is known as Untangle and Grow Counseling, and yeah, I sort of kept with a the theme there, um, I've worked with the now in private practice about three years. Uh, before that, I was about five years learning how to do all of this. So that's a good eight years in practice. The idea for this podcast had come to me before I got my license. And as things set up with my license, I had to put it on the back burner. But an opportunity came up here with Voice of America to go ahead and start this podcast and bring it out to you. And I'm not going to give you everything on my journey right now. We're going to learn more about that as we go along. And you're going to find about, about a bit about me by also some of the people I talk with. And we're going to go ahead and start with our first guest, Tracy Gant Monroy, affectionately called TG, is a licensed professional counselor and psychotherapist and certified brain spotting practitioner, consultant, and trainer located in Atlanta, Georgia. Tracy is a fierce proponent of social justice, soul care, and mental health. Tracy works. Tracy focuses on working with marginalized clients to bring them to the highest place of actualization and their humanness. And our topic for overall today is talking about a clinician in the midst of pandemic. So, welcome, Tracy, to Untying Knots. Thank you, Perry. I'm glad and honored to be with you. Yes, you're my first guest, and this is the first recording, so you get to essentially break this cherry. Ah, nice. I like it. So, let's start with a little bit about how you got into mental health, because, I mean, that's one of our biggest questions I think some people have, and especially for people like ourselves who are BIPOC, in how do we get into this profession? Because there's plenty of stuff we see on TV that... uh, which is good for drama's sake, makes our work harder, makes people not want to walk into our work. So how did you start? Well, interestingly enough that you would ask that because mental health chose me. I didn't choose it. Um, So I am a licensed broker of many years, which was my first career. And as I... I guess you could say matriculated through life. Mm-hmm. Um, I answered my call, putting it short. And what I mean by answering my call, I believe that each and every individual born into humanity, into humankind, there is some sort or some form of purpose 
whereby we, as we live, and depending on what that looks like, we continue to move towards what that purpose of our being is. And so as I came into awareness of my gifts, of my talents, of my interests, it all came back to people, individuals, um, just in the thing of my love for people. I'm actually a humanitarian and the fascinating part is I've been doing the work more or less, just didn't know a name for it. It wasn't necessarily in any particular frame. And as I continued to grow into the fullness of my own being, you know, I've always had the passion about people, um, who they are, where they are, how they're living you know, their quality of life and things of that nature. My life kind of surrounded that. And it became interesting because even in answering that call, I ended up in Bible college, very young, and then seminary. And during my time at seminary, my professors and mentors were pushing really hardly for me to get into pastoral care. Well, I wasn't interested in another religious degree at all. Um, and during one of my um, ministerial classes, which was an actual practice for pastoral care, which was required for my Master of Divinity, I ended up being placed at a historical school in Atlanta, um, mm -hmm. Benjamin E. Mays. And I was mortified by the makeshift jail on campus. They literally had um, what most of us know as resource officers um, who were actually stationed on the, on the high school campus and they were really cops. And so with all of that and just being in that environment and having to sit with, care for, be with, um, young adults at that stage of adolescence, I couldn't understand. Part of it was culture shock because I had been out of high school many years. And when I started to engage with the purpose of my being assigned there and working with the young people that I was tasked with, I knew something was majorly wrong. And so that kind of started the journey with exposing me to that type of work per se. Mm -hmm. And so after seminary, I got an invitation from one of my dear um, church um, colleagues, members, whatever you want to call it. And he invited me out to be certified in substance abuse. And I was like, now, why would I want to do that? Because I'm all about the license. I'm not into certifications mm -hmm. per se. Mm -hmm. And so I became interested and got accepted into a professional counseling um, program. And I guess the rest was history. All right. Yeah, I can very much relate to that aspect of calling because that's kind of how it also happened for me. I was uh, unhappy with the job I was doing and one and I was working as a merchandiser and it involved a hardware store, which I'm not going to get into any type of copyright or 
licensing in for issue, issues with them, but I was loading the car one day after work and a day I wasn't particularly happy. And this older gentleman who clearly was probably in a group home in some case, but clearly not mentally all present, walked up to me and said, I'll load your car if you'll buy me a hamburger. I didn't have wow. much, much stuff to actually load in the car. So it was something I could do quickly. And I turned him down. But the moment I got in the car, I basically was sitting there saying, like, what the hell am I doing with my life? I'd been chasing the money and it hadn't been, I'd been still struggling. And so I began the process of looking at what was more socially redeemable, redeemable socially connected. And I thought I was going to do the medical field first because my mother had been a nurse and found that that world and I didn't exactly Jones well together. And then again, that aspect of calling, I had just a message I heard in my head while I was doing something else. It said, go study psychology. Mm. And here we are. And I look back and frankly, I'm much happier. But you bring awesome. up a, yeah, but you bring up a very interesting point when you're talking about returning to high school. Because the thought that was coming to my mind as you were talking about that is, you know, if you look back at uh, any of the both television shows and ways we look at history and so forth, up until probably about the 90s, really the idea of a social, uh, resource officer in high school wasn't really even a part of the landscape of our educational field. It started showing up there more so, more effectively in the things we start seeing and even started including when we look at the media representation of that. So that also leads into my next question, which is talking about the orientation of our practice in community the representation, the cultural competence, because that's also one of the big things that's also happening right now as we're looking at everything that's happened with this current biological pandemic, not to mention the sociological pandemic, as well as the political pandemics that we've been sort of struggling with in these last five years. So what are your thoughts there? You know, so much comes to mind um, when we start talking about pandemics within pandemics. I think with COVID-19, it's almost been like a hopper or an incubator that brought to surface the nuances of all these plethoras of mm -hmm. pandemics. And, and more precisely, what sticks out to me is, you know, going back to my whole deal when it comes down to it, because I am a um, Black American cisgendered, right? Spirit um, filled, led, however you want to see it, um, woman who's heterosexual, which gives me an interesting lens in terms of what that all looks like. You know, I think over the years, we've all been aware of politics, but I don't know that we've all engaged the whole ideological construct of what that really means and how that impacts and how that affects me. So one of the things that really kicked my gear or shifted my gear, so to speak, was the unrest of 2020. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the young people, and, and I don't use that lightly, you know, it's only by grace, I'll be 52 years old in February. So now I get to really say young people and yeah, because you know how that goes. But nonetheless, you know, being a mom 
of a um, Generation Z kid that just turned 22 and being able to have the inside track and hearing his perspectives and what that looked like for him as a black of Hispanic male in the days and the times and just kind of listening and helping him or supporting him and reframing some of his perspectives and to see his generation out on the front line. And I thought, hmm, these kids are putting politics into action and they're calling into question their lived lives, their historical lives and what that looks like generationally. Mm -hmm. And what I heard them say was, you guys can go in every arm and every branch of government and play these games. But here's what we're demanding, and we're demanding it now, because from a political lens, it actually, COVID-19 did a huge unveiling of politics in action. Mm -hmm. And... When we talk about these Gen Z's and these millennials, they begged the question, they demanded a response, and they were so powerful in a sense that they used all of themselves to temper what would become the proper response. And, and when we start talking about the different pandemics, uh, technology comes to mind because we know there has been disparity. We know there's been unfair treatment. We know people have paid the cost with their lives and with their bodies, in particular, black and brown people. And so to have that captured, where we, in, in society, the world had slowed down to a crawl if not a stop whereby we were able to take in what the meaning of this political arena looks like and at what cost so there was something about shifting that gear mm -hmm. when it mm -hmm. came to being with the pandemic very much so. And what is also brought to attention for many, especially in our field, as whether it's the pandemic, biological pandemic, whether it's been the social pandemic, or whether it's been the political pandemic, mental health. And brought into a lot of, kind of glaring issues around this idea of cultural competence, or should, I prefer to go with cultural humility. Absolutely. Even another way to think about it is what is cultural empathy that's going on here, too? And this ties into kind of our next one, which is the goals of what mental health is. I mean, do we normalize disorders, the recipients, the practitioners uh, that are doing this, even just the, the efficiency that comes up with the idea of doing mental health? I know, and I'm not going to, again, name names just because of everything that's gone on. I tried some of the working on some of those, you know, app-based uh, mental health providers and it's like i started seeing some issues that while for the users it might have been great it was a definite an issue for us as clinicians working in it that doesn't work well with how in some cases we do mental health let alone what the expectations let's say from an insurance standpoint 
also come into play. So what comes up for you there? You know, I'm a little twisted on my perspective when I think about mental health in and of itself in that um, era, Mm -hmm. period of time. Mm -hmm. Quite personally, um, the pandemic for me illuminated mental health in such a way that it had a huge shift from stigma to mainstream. Mm -hmm. Because we had such a rise with depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety, Mm -hmm. domestic violence, substance abuse, right? Because the pandemic in and of itself and bringing the world to a crawl actually postured itself to a place of reflection as well as actualization, Right. Mm -hmm. Where people had an opportunity to be with themselves and to really start to notice what their world looked like and what component they brought to their worlds to begin to consider a different decision. So Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, I think blessings and curses oftentimes run parallel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So although the pandemic in and of itself having an invisible killer amongst us that we didn't know anything about, we have lost tremendous amounts of lives and people Mm -hmm. globally Mm -hmm. and to even bring it more specifically to our nation and then to have the blaring obviousness of a divided nation being under a political head that annihilated pretty much all many of the core values of what this nation is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was a bit disturbing for me um, in mm-hmm. terms of there was so much hate and division mm-hmm. and the lack of compassion mm-hmm. one to another. It was as though um, there was this sentiment of either or, which challenged me because I come from the orientation of and both. And so when that whole ideal started to kind of take place, take root and become, it was almost like a projector of sorts. Mm -hmm. You know, even as a clinician, I was triggered Mm -hmm. about all that was happening. And, you know, and it was so interesting for me because I didn't even recognize some things because my practice is comprised of blacks, whites, Hispanics, and every, and, and pretty often actually, other cultures and ethnicities of people come through. But, you know, I had my own realization because when I would log on for telemed, I found that my clients and patients were asking me, Mm -hmm. how was I? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it brought to light that I'm black, they're non-black, some non-BIPOC. And I thought, wow. You know, so that was interesting to be able to sit with just a conglomerate 
of mm-hmm. God's creation and mm-hmm. being able to sense, hear, experience with them mm-hmm. the, the variance of perspective. Mm-hmm. I'd have to say mm-hmm. in my lifetime, 2020 was probably the most um, noticeably impactful mm-hmm. on various fronts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it's during this time I've said to a number of clients that if we look at the word apocalypse, which is one of the things that has been thrown around very much with 2020 and here into 2021 as well, if we go back to the original Greek of what it means, it translates into unveiling, revealing, compared to what gets used in biblical purposes or in Hollywood or whatever novel you're reading, it's to reveal. And we have had so many things revealed in roughly these last two years, but frankly, let's be frank, these last five to six years, so much has been revealed, even to the fact of what's showing up in our own profession as well. And uh, as I said, normalizing the disorders, but even normalizing the recognition of what's been going on. I know I've seen articles which talk about for us as therapists, the exhaustion we're facing providing the mental health care for so many people. I mean, I admit, I practice jumped because of the pandemic and work hours and so forth. So I didn't stop working. But equally in that same point, then we had everything that not just happened with the pandemic, but then George Floyd. And now the sense point of, like I said, clients are asking how you're doing. I had clients asking how I was doing. But even then, in our profession, we've had people who have not even recognized the effect that race and culture has been going on for us. So that kind of leads into the next question of how is serving um, our mental health in our relationship and our awareness and our cultural humility something that has been a forefront for you? Because I know, and for those also transparency for everyone, we met because of brain spotting. And one of the big things that has come up in these last two years has been the development of the BIPOC nation. And I'm hoping to get David Grant on here so we can talk about this, too. Um, And just the representation that we have taken into brain spotting as a place to come into and utilize for our connection and handling of people. Absolutely. You know, and Perry, even right there, I just need to say that when we start talking about mental health in and of itself, you know, there's inherent pathology, right? Mm-hmm. Even in the whole construct of mental health. And so when we start talking about pathology, it asserts that there's something wrong with you, mm-hmm. right? Which moves outside of the medium, the median of what is known as normalcy. Mm -hmm. And for me, it becomes synonymous with systemic oppression, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's within our systems, it's within our institutions, it's within our culture. And with that being said, even when I think about the significance of the pandemic, When it comes to mental health, as it pertains to marginalized people, you know, that becomes an issue in and of itself because marginalized people, and when I speak of marginalized people, I'm speaking of the people on the margins, the people who are not included in dominant culture. Mm -hmm. Dominant culture 
um, usually speaks to that idea that America, the United States is kind of formulated on dealing mm-hmm. with um, privilege and oppression. There's only mm-hmm. two sides of that axis. And so when we start talking about dominant culture people, we're talking about mainly Anglo-Saxons, white mm-hmm. passing mm-hmm. men, even from a socioeconomic perspective, the haves rather than the have nots, because ordinarily when you think of marginalized in our society, it just kind of lends itself to oppression and have nots. Mm-hmm. And so even within our field, um, there is a difference of treatment mm-hmm. because oftentimes even culture can be miscategorized as pathology. There's nothing pathological about it. It's simply different mm-hmm. than dominant culture. But we don't have those teachings. And, and, and when I say we don't have those teachings, part of the deal with marginalization comes from a social justice perspective, lack of access. And mm-hmm. I'll make it real simple and plain. Oftentimes you can walk into a food store or a grocery store or a market and use it as a barometer about the socioeconomics of the area. Mm-hmm. Usually, mm-hmm. is that making sense? Because oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Higher echelon areas tend to have the freshest fruit, produce, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. meat, things of that nature. So when we start talking about a lack of access, forget about medical care, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know that there is disparity even when it comes to medical care, mental health care, education. Mm-hmm. You see, all these things fall when we start looking from an intersectionality and social justice perspective on those axes. And it mm-hmm. is a reality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went on a rant there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's all right. Because. Part of that's why, why I saw you as one of the first people I wanted to do this so that we could just, there is just so much both truth to that, so much that we need to process and think about there. And, you know, I think that's a good place for us to take a break. So we're going to be taking a short little break here. We're going to come back and we're going to continue on this. And I also want to talk about your training that you did. We did earlier this year that I know is coming up again next month. And I think there's still time for people to get onto it. We'll get forward to that when we come back from this break. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. 
And we are back. So we're here talking with Tracy Gantman-Roy, a licensed professional counselor and certified brain spotting practitioner consultant in Atlanta, Georgia. So as I said, just before we went to break, let's talk a little bit about the training that you uh, are running, which we did. I did earlier this year, and I know you're doing again in this October. Uh, so why don't we talk a little bit about that? That is an interesting combination of brain spotting, looking at racial injustice and systemic oppression as well, and how that works in our system. Um, I know during that training, as we were talking about it, Again, for transparency, I'm just, I, I've lived within my, most of my life with a learning disability, which probably around 2014 was finally recognized as dyslexia. But as in, I was going through that class with you, I came to start realizing that I'm not going to keep calling myself dyslexic. I'm going to start using more neurodiverse. Now, that doesn't mean I'm on the ASD spectrum, but it does mean that there is a diversity of how I look and process information. I'm much better at audio processing than I am necessarily at reading. So, yeah. So, folks, when you see me stumbling over some of these words or so forth, when I'm looking at my notes, that's because I'm having issues my dysle the dyslexia, the neurodiversity, creating issues as I'm reading and processing information. So let's talk a bit about your experience of teaching this class and sharing it. So the training is actually brain spotting, intersectionality, and social justice. And that training, Perry, was actually birthed out of the unrest. Um, my autonomic nervous system became activated and mm -hmm. it was highly uncomfortable. I just didn't sense love, you know, mm -hmm. in the nation. And I became enraged. I became angered. And my anger motivates me to create. I don't mm -hmm. break up stuff. I create. And so brain spotting intersectionality and social justice had everything to do with embracing and welcoming all of who we are, whatever that looks like. Because oftentimes what happens is we're unfamiliar with the wholeness of who we are. You know, as you were talking about um, learning disability, dyslexia, and things of that nature, I cringed because that's a stigma. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, we get to labeling um, things and it isn't always accurate. And so when you start talking about neurodiverse, it simply means that you process differently than the quote unquote status quo on normalcy that our society has created. And mm -hmm. I think in era, because I don't think we walk around with disabilities or disorders. I think I agree with Dr. Grand. They're phenomenons. Mm -hmm. You know, people aren't cookie cutter. We don't all do things the same way. I mean, we can think about even accessing our local shopping center. Mm -hmm. There are numerous ways to arrive to um, a location or destination. And so it's not about what we process, it's how we process and how those different aspects of who we are 
comes into play in that land. So it doesn't make it wrong and it doesn't make it bad. And it does not um, deem one disabled. Mm-hmm. It simply mm-hmm. means difference. And so neurodiversity has everything to do with a person processing outside of that median, mm-hmm. as they call it, within our field. And when you're on the left or the right of that, you know, the intrinsic inherent um, compliance pieces, um, th- th- those pieces, they assert less than positive Mm -hmm. when we start talking about that. And then we start um, moving people around like they're little blocks, Mm -hmm. like they're like little Legos and they got this piece got to fit into this piece. And and that's all felonious to me. So that's what intersectionality and social justice is about is supporting clinicians and being aware of who they are as it pertains to social identities that Mm -hmm. we all have. That's where Perry was speaking from that in his own awareness and growth and acceptance of all of him, he was able to go in and reframe something that has been a label, something that has been limiting and expanding that frame to say, it's not a problem. It's simply a difference. And this is who I am. And I'm going to approach it from an empowerment perspective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of being different in that way. And so it's all about that clinician understanding who they are, because we take all of who we are inside that counseling room, inside that session with our patients and clients. And we know through a brain spotting perspective that When we sit with people, when we sit with clients, it's both relational and neurological and we are connected. Mm -hmm. And so if as a clinician, if I am unaware of my own, uh, my own nervous system, I could be imparting something to my client or to my patient that impacts them in a less than positive way. So coming into that awareness supports us when it comes to our attunement, when it Mm -hmm. comes to us being in that tail of the comment and having a hold of that uncertainty principle, understanding that there are things we don't have to know, but we definitely need to be able to track along with ourselves. And just for those who are wondering about the comment about tail of the comment. If you take brain spotting, you definitely understand what this means, as well as the uncertainty principle. So there's a sales pitch for brain spotting. You want to check the brain spotting uh, website.com uh, for that information. So back to you, Tracy. Oh, my pleasure. And so I get excited about this stuff, Perry, because, you know, even coming up with this training was not intentional as much as inspired in response to what was happening because there, listen, even in the mental health field, there is a divide. Mm -hmm. Even as we talk about um, cultural competency, clinicians, things of that nature. I've been with 
enough BIPOC clinicians and dominant cultured white clinicians who are actually cohorts and allies who are coming forward to say and assert this is problematic. Mm -hmm. This is problematic. Proving that you can function together as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. They jokingly, and I'm going to call them out right here. Um, so John and um, Sawyer, what's his mm-hmm. name? Steve. John Edwards and Steve Sawyer, they're both brain spotting trainers as well. Um, and they affectionately call me the UN, as in the <laughs> United Nations. You know, in the United Nations, because you know what? I see every human being as a flower in the garden of God. That's mm-hmm. my orientation. Now, does that mean I'm a religious freak or a God freak? No, it means I am a person that has a higher power. And I understand that um, creator, God, universe. I understand that the powers that be go beyond myself, mm-hmm. right? I didn't create myself. Mm-hmm. And so I honor that. And I even sit with a great many of atheists that mm-hmm. come to me understanding that I have a heavy theological background, you know, with a master of divinity. I I am just curious about whatever piece of divinity whomsoever has, because Mm -hmm. no one has a monopoly on it, just like we don't have a monopoly on healing. Mm -hmm. Oh, very much so. Very true. And it goes back to what that metaphor you're saying about how we all get to the grocery store. You can get there on a bicycle, you can walk, you can ride a bus, you can take an Uber or Lyft, you can drive your own car. And I'll be frank, I had a mental image of you being carried in on a litter. Wow. With with fanning farm prawns and uh, somebody ready to give you grapes. Wow. I think you're calling me a queen, Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Own the title, own the title, sister. I love you, Perry. I love you. Your brain is beautiful in sitting with you and spending time with you, being in even a training environment, which I've been in several with you. And then you graced me with your presence attending the um, brain spotting intersectionality and social justice um, training. And I was so elated because I believe that knowledge, learning, teaching, it all has reciprocity and mutuality. Mm-hmm. You bring so much to any space, to any environment. I am always fascinated by how your neurodiversity supports you and encourages you and motivates you to go to areas of thought and being that most cannot even imagine until you create the image for us. It's beautiful. Thank you. And working with what the great cosmos gave me. Yep. Yep. All righty. So let's go ahead and move into our last section before we go ahead and work about closing up here. And this is a section I'm hoping to do in all all of our future podcasts is called Myths and Realities. And so what we're going to talk about is what is a myth that stops people, especially for those of us who are BIPOC or LGBT, from going and seeking therapy. I mean, with the recent news that has just happened with um, 
um, Nicki Minaj and the claims she made, there are so many issues and ideas and misconceptions around mental health and therapy that keep us from going. So I'm going to ask you, Tracy, what is one myth that you know of that people use to keep from going in and seeking mental health? And let's talk about what the realities are around that. For me, it's all about the stigmas and the isms. Mm -hmm. You know, I think especially when we're talking about marginalized people, um, when you start talking about Blacks, when you start talking about Hispanics, even when you talk about Asians and many of the others, you know, mental health has not for the most part, right? Because I can't speak for it in totality, but I think culturally for the most part, there is that assertion, there's that myth that for someone to engage mental health practices or protocol, that asserts something is wrong with you from a mm -hmm. pathological perspective. And that mm -hmm. is just a lie. Mm -hmm. It's not true at all. And it's almost offensive because mental health and behavioral health doesn't always assert that something's wrong. You know, part of it is socioeconomic because dominant cultured folk have prescribed to um, therapy, counseling, and all of that. And part of the challenge is it has been a lack of access. The reality becomes, in short, it's all about us being better at who we are. It's not just about the mental health diagnoses part. Much of it is the behavioral health piece and actually having the support to expand mm -hmm. who we are. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my perspective and orientation with it. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. Say it again. We got a little distortion going on. It's not always the negative piece of it. Some mm -hmm. of it is most of it, I find, because no one stays in the place of their trauma as they do their work. They progress. We're progressive as people, as human beings, mm -hmm. biologically, neurobiologically, you know, physically, all these different manifestations we're able to have. Therapy, the myth is you come in because you're sick and something wrong with you and you must be crazy. That's not accurate. Sometimes mm -hmm. we come in to expand and grow. That's mm -hmm. the reality. We become oh, yeah. aware. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Um, as, as you say that, I think just think about that standpoint that, again, as I said earlier, how we look at media and the media diet, the images around what gets put on television. Oftentimes it's the, or even radio or even in writing form, it's often the extreme cases. Because they are also the ones that, for lack of a better word, can easily be seen and extrapolated. I mean, we have a very big issue, whether it is dealing with things like CPS to even the medical care system. We look at if it's bleeding, if there's a physical wound that we can see, we have something we can do about it. But so often mental health, whether it is the extreme or whether it's just the very mildest stuff of just trying to figure out like your daughter's getting married and you haven't figured out how did you're dealing with the fact that you're not going to have a, your little girl is going to be gone 
or even the standpoint of you're changing jobs. And this job, because you have been so told by so much of society that this is who you are and you're changing into an entirely different field, all of these things get into that sense of the idea that's being put forth to you about what mental health is. I've had more than my share of clients who talk about the idea that mental health problems are a rich person's problem. We're not rich. We don't have problems. It's like, no, we all have problems, no matter what. Yeah, socioeconomic place we're at. It's just a question of whether we get help with it. We're going to just go ahead and wrap up here. I want to thank Tracy for being here. Where can folks find you if they want to talk with you more? I can be found on the website www.gracecommunitycounseling.com and Grace just like Grace, G-R-A-C-E, community, C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y, counseling, C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com, gracecommunitycounseling.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there any place on some of the social medias that they could find you if they wanted to connect with you? as well as any other recommendations, say books or trainings. And let's also, because I think you I said, you have a training that's coming up in October. So let's go ahead and pitch that too. Okay, so um, I can be found on social media. I actually have a YouTube channel by the name of The Resident Therapist. And I'm also on Anchor Podcast, um, The Resident Therapist. That is me. Um, also, the training coming up is October the 3rd, 4th, and 5th of this year. It's Brain Spotting, Intersectionality, and Social Justice, which can also be located on brainspotting.com or directly at um, Grace Community Counseling. Dot com And also, Perry, you don't know this, but I also have a BIPOC phase one training coming up December the 3rd, 4th, and the 5th. Oh, lovely. Uh, and is this going to be one that could be people could basically sign in on the internet? From? Absolutely. Absolutely. Huh? Everything will be up for that by Monday. And John Edwards is actually doing my first BIPOC phase one training with me, which I find to be full of grace. Um, and so if someone's interested in brain spotting um, and they're a clinician or in the helping professional, you don't even have to be licensed to mm -hmm. learn brain spotting. You can be um, a clergy member. You could be a community support um, that work with people in community. Um, you could even have your own group of persons that you've been supporting in community. This modality is perfect for indigenous people mm -hmm. because it is a modality way more Eastern than Western in practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I do want to say that. Excellent. Excellent. So I'll try to get those all into the show notes so that everyone find this. And with ideally, you're, this will should be going out this coming Wednesday, the 22nd. So those of you who are listening to it after the 22nd, well, we're 
Hello, future people, as uh, another of the podcasts I listen to and future listeners. And I hope you come back and enjoy listening more to uh, Untying Knots, because this has been a fascinating knot that we untied and tied a new one together. So thank you. And the, we can reach me at uh, the email location, pclark at Untying Knots podcast. We will be working on getting the website up soon. But that's that's still in the work, and we got the dust. But again, you can reach me at pclark at untyingknots.com. Feel free to send us the questions that you might want to add for our Myth and the Reality sessions, or even just those suggestions of topics. I'll see who I can find that can talk about them. So once again, I want to thank Tracy for being my first guest, and I want to thank all of you for being first-time listeners, and hope you'll listen more on the Voice of America Podcast Network. So enjoy the weekend, enjoy the week, and just have a good day. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.